Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. We are talking about belonging, and specifically from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, we're talking about you belong here. Have you ever been someplace that you felt like you genuinely just did not belong? Maybe it was uh, at some point in church, you're like, oh man, I, I don't know if I belong here with with these people. Maybe it might be uh, a, a different circumstance. Uh, someone earlier this week was telling me that they uh, accidentally walked into uh, either the girls' bathroom or the girls' locker room and very quickly went, whoa, it's way too nice in here. I know this isn't the guys. Uh, and so they quickly escaped that. They didn't belong there. Um, I, uh, I have a story of a person that uh, did not belong here in church, and uh, I, I'm not talking about uh, they, they didn't deserve to be with, uh, with Christians, they didn't deserve to be, no, it was, uh, it was August of 2020, and uh, my wife and son were uh, in Maryland visiting her parents for uh, their anniversary, and um, so I was, I was here at the church. It was a Saturday night. Uh, so everything had already been done at the church. Everything was cleaned and ready for the service uh, the following day. And I was just, uh, as, as any person would do, lonely. I, would, uh, I was playing uh, video games uh, with Pastor Carlos and with my brother Sammy. And I was just playing. And, and I looked out my window and I saw that the upstairs light at the church was on. And I went, oh, great. Come on, staff people. You know, you guys can turn off lights after yourselves. And so uh, that, that was sin on my part. I was thinking evil of people that did nothing. And, uh, and so <clears throat> I was like, oh, fine. All right. Well, so I grabbed the keys and I went over to uh, the church and I came in through those doors and I walked over and, and I went through uh, those swinging doors there. And as soon as I walked into kind of that fellowship hall area there, as I walked in, I saw a young 18, 19-year-old kid coming out of the nursery uh, with, a, uh, with a trash bag full of stuff and uh, the changing mat uh, from the nursery. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I thought to myself, you don't belong here. And it wasn't that I didn't want him in church. Clearly, that's the place he needed to be, but he was not there at the time he needed to be there. And uh, the, poor, the poor guy, uh, don't do drugs. Uh, he had just grabbed everything that he could possibly find, including toilet paper rolls, uh, pictures of uh, the youth group, and random things of sheet music. I don't think he was just dying to sing Psalm 34 with a choir. Uh, drugs do terrible things to your mind. Don't do them, as this man figured out. Hopefully, you have never felt like that kid, uh, that you do not belong in church. Hopefully not in that specific way. But maybe you have felt that you don't belong in church. Maybe it's not your scene. Maybe you don't feel like you are good enough or measure up to other people. Maybe you don't feel like you belong to God, that maybe the circumstances of your life have convinced you that God is against you, that he is contrary to you, that he does not want a relationship with you, you will never have his blessing. However, 
this passage this morning is for you. Or perhaps this morning you feel more like me in that story and you're wondering if other people belong. Uh, This passage is for you as well. Uh, You see, we're going to learn this morning from Hebrews 10 that through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, you now belong to God and to his family. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish believers that had been undergoing some heavy persecution. Uh, We would read that some of them had been imprisoned. uh, Some of them had had property and possessions seized. uh, They were being insulted and harassed, and they were just undergoing heavy persecution, specifically because they had identified with Christ and with his church. And so the temptation then for these believers was to forsake Christianity, leave Christ, leave the church, and instead go back to the Judaism that during this time in the Roman Empire was relatively more established and okay as a religion. However, the unknown author of Hebrews, some think it might have been Paul or Barnabas or Luke, uh, he doesn't say, hey, this is my name, I wrote the letter, so there's just a lot of speculation on it. The unknown author writes to tell these believers that Jesus is better than anything that they had known previously. He was better than even the book of the law. He was better than the angels. He was better than Moses, their most revered prophet. He was better than uh, the Old Testament priesthood. And he was better even than the sacrifices for sin. For these believers, they had a choice. On the one hand, they could continue to Uh, undergo all of these persecutions and all of these horrible events, or they could choose to walk away from it all, walk away from Christ and his church, and the persecution would stop. Well, why in the world would anyone go with the first option? The the reason is because of the truth that we'll learn about today, that Jesus' final atonement for our sins has given us the greatest privilege and responsibility in the world. Specifically, through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, you now belong to God and to his family. Let's stand, and we're going to read the passage. It's only six verses. And then we'll pray and dive into this morning's message. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some people is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let's pray, and then you may be seated. Dear God, we pray today that you would speak to us. God, we ask that you would help uh, this time in your word to be a time of reflection, that we would see life through your lens. And God, we ask that you would help us to not just see it and then leave the same way that we came, but we ask that your holy word would change us. We ask that your spirit would bring specific 
conviction and encouragement and challenges uh, to our mind of what we need to do. God, I ask that as I preach that you would help me to only say what you would want me to. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You belong to God and to his family. And we first see from verses 19 through 21 that you belong to God. Uh, We don't have time to discuss all of the different aspects of the Old Testament priesthood that uh, we read about in the verses, but just so we can kind of get an idea of what the author is saying here, uh, we see here the holiest, the blood of Jesus, and the veil. And the holiest would be the holy of holies. It would be the most sacred spot, first in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple when that was built in Jerusalem. This was the place where the Ark of the Covenant would be housed. This was where God's presence was uh, in kind of the greatest way in the Old Testament. This was a place so holy that it was only visited once a year, only by the high priest, and only after the sacrifice had been made both for himself and for the entire nation of Israel. And sprinkled with the blood of that sacrifice as a show of... um, really, that the payment had been made, the high priest would enter into the holiest, the holy of holies, and there he would sacrifice to the Lord. You would get into the holy of holies by way of a curtain or a veil, and it was very, very thick and very, very tall, and again, was only entered once a year. And we belong to God, verses 19 and 20 would tell us, because of Jesus' sacrifice. Much is written in Scripture about the blood of Jesus, and for good reason. Uh, The writer would tell us in chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. The apostle Peter would write that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. The Apostle Paul says we have been justified or declared righteous by his blood. The Apostle John wrote that believers achieve victory over Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Because of Jesus' death in our place on the cross, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Just like the Old Testament high priest would once a year come into the Holy of Holies sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice for himself and for the people, so we are now invited into God's very presence because of the blood of Jesus which has been placed on us. What a thought that our infinitely holy God, perfectly righteous in all ways, now welcomes us into the place that previously only one person in a generation could go Once a year. Truly, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So we can enter into God's presence boldly, unashamed, and openly because of the blood of Jesus. Not only that, but verse 20 tells us how this happened. It says, by a new and living way. Uh, What's interesting here is the word new comes from uh, a couple Greek words meaning freshly killed. So it's It's the newly cut way, it's the newly killed way, who is yet living. And man, what a a great picture of Jesus that through his death, he opened up 
access to God, but also he is living. He did not stay in the grave. Instead, he defeated and conquered death itself. The verse makes it clear that the situation we now take for granted was not always the case. In Jesus' death, he inaugurated or opened that new and living way through the veil. Our great high priest walked through the heavenly veil and tore down the curtain behind him so that all of us are now invited into God's presence. One could ask or wonder, does God resent me because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid? Is, is Jesus saying, man, I, I made this payment and now just I, I'm really mad that I had to do that for Thomas or I had to do that for Samantha. Now, now I'm a little bit angry at them because I had to do that. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you, if you have accepted Christ's perfect sacrifice on your behalf, then verse 21 has a wonderful comfort to you. You belong to God because of Jesus' sacrifice, but you also belong to God because of Jesus' intercession on your behalf. Verse 21 says, having a high priest over the house of God. We don't simply have a perfect sacrifice that was presented on our behalf, but we have a great high priest who ever lives to intercede for us as our advocate and our intercessor. Romans 8 tells us that, no one can condemn the child of God because Jesus died so we would not be under condemnation. And now that he is risen and is at the Father's right hand, he is interceding on our behalf. The only one authorized to punish us for our sin is the one who suffered our punishment voluntarily. The verse there, who shall bring anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. If you ever feel as though you have sinned too much or too deeply for God to forgive, take heart. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. You belong to God. If you ever feel as though this life is too difficult and the hardships you're going through mean that you are unloved, take heart. Jesus suffered through unspeakable torment so you could be reconciled to him. You belong to God. No matter what circumstance, temptation, or catastrophe comes, Take heart, dear Christian, you belong to God. This wonderful fact is then brought to present reality in verses 22 through 25 of our passage. We've been given the inestimable privilege to belong to God, but now that comes with some responsibilities on our part. You belong to God's family. In this next section, verses 22 through 25, there are three exhortations that come from having boldness to enter the holiest and having a high priest. So because of those two things, we have three specific exhortations. These are phrased as let us or let's. In verse 22, it's let's draw near. In verse 23, it's let's hold fast the confession of our hope. And in verse number 24, it's let's consider one another in order to provoke, to love, and to good works. The importance in all of these let us, not just let you, is that though these believers felt alone and felt as though they could individually leave Christ forever, as others had already done, 
the author here reminds them that the Christian life is a team sport. He gives these three actions as a result of what Christ has done, but he comforts them that they are not doing it alone. If you belong to God, you belong to God's family. And the first action he encourages the believers to take as a part of God's family is to get close to the Father. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. From the comfort of Jesus' worthy sacrifice and his present intercession on uh, their behalf, the author now tells the believers to get close to God. Man, think of the situation that they would have been in, that they were undergoing persecution and hatred and insults and imprisonment. All of these things were happening to them because they were professing Christ. And perhaps some of them thought, maybe God is mad at me. Maybe that's why I'm undergoing all of this persecution. Maybe some of them thought, I can't come to God because... I've been wondering about leaving Christ and Christianity all behind and just going back to the life I used to live so I don't have to deal with the trouble anymore. Maybe they thought, because I'm thinking those things, God is now against me. However, the author encourages them with this. Draw near to God. Jesus' righteousness is all that's required to come to God. And so whatever's telling you that you can't run back to the Father is a lie. You don't have to bring your own righteousness with you when you go to see God. Instead, the righteousness is all his. I love the song, Cling to Christ. It says, Father, I can come to you and boast of deeds I've done. In my pride, I strive to earn the favor Christ has won. He alone pleads my acceptance, all my works aside. So I come with empty hands. And I cling to Christ. Father, I can go astray and battle needless fears. Voices tell me I'm condemned and that I can't draw near. But your spirit calls me homeward with your words of life. Jesus bore my every sin, so I cling to Christ. It's more than I can do to keep my hold on you. But all my hope and peace is that you cling to me. If you belong to God, he is your everlasting father, and you can run to him. Run to him in prayer, begging for victory over sin, pleading for others in your life, asking for relief and opportunities and his hand at work, even if he doesn't always answer your requests in the way that you would want. He hears you, and his answers are always best. If you belong to the father, run to his word. Draw close to him through his word. His truth is applicable to every aspect of your life, and if you will internalize it, it can make the biggest difference in the world. So we're told to draw near to God, and the end of verse 22 tells us how to approach God. And the first thing here is with a true heart, that is sincerely, genuinely. It's, it's not a facade when you're coming to God. You're not saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray or I'm going to uh, read God's word, but I have no intention of actually communicating with him or of following him. I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to do it, and then I'm going to go do my own thing. No, when we draw near, draw near genuinely. Sincerely come to God. 
then in full assurance of faith, fully trust that when you come to God, he hears. How can we know that? How can we assume that God would hear our prayers? Because Jesus died for us and because he is our high priest before the Father. We belong to God so we can know that when we come to him, we can come fully trusting. And it says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and you could insert there, and having our bodies washed with pure water. While coming sincerely and coming fully trusting our uh, ways in which we come, uh, having our hearts sprinkled and having our bodies washed would be, in Greek, a middle tense verb. It's not something you do, it's something that is done to you. And here, uh, it's picturing in the Old Testament priesthood how uh, the priests, when they would come, they would come sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice that shows, okay, God, we, we come, and through this sacrifice, we are coming, uh, realizing our sinfulness, but also obeying what you have said. And then uh, the priests would, uh, before their services, every time they would ceremonially wash themselves. And here, our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. This isn't something that we do every time before we pray. None of us have the righteousness to clean our own evil conscience. We don't have it within ourselves to cleanse us of all of our iniquities. Instead, we come because Christ's blood has been laid on our account. And I think of Ephesians 5 and verse 25 uh, or 26 where it says that Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. You come to God not because you're good enough, not because you're holy enough, not because you're rich enough or poor enough or needy enough. You come to God because you've been cleansed and adopted by Jesus. Don't assume you have any other reason for your standing than the perfect righteousness of Christ. This was something that made the Pharisees so angry uh, in the first century, that Jesus would eat with publicans and sinners. And the Pharisees said, hey, we've, we've kept this giant laundry list of 613 laws in the Torah and all of the added on laws on top of that so that we didn't break that law. So we made a law so we wouldn't break that law and then made a law so we wouldn't break that law to break that law. They, they said, we have kept all of these things and yet Jesus is spending time with those who extort others. Jesus is spending time with those who have given themselves over to lives of sin. But they miss the entire point. The point isn't bring all of your goodness to God and have him spend time with you as a result. No, it's, it's let us draw near sinful, flawed, tempted, battered down by life. And we come on the basis of his righteousness. Let's draw near genuinely, fully trusting him, but realizing that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body has been washed with pure water. You belong to God's family, so get close to the Father. But then in verse 23, you belong to God's family, so don't be ashamed of them. Verse uh, 23 here, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. The word faith here, the other uh, 52 times that the Greek word is used in the New Testament is uh, translated as hope. So let us hold fast the profession of our hope 
without wavering. Have you ever been ashamed of a sibling or a family member before? I can remember a few times in college where my sister was in the preliminary stages of dating some real characters, and honestly, I was embarrassed. People would come to me, and they'd be like, hey, this guy? And I'd just go, I don't know what she's thinking. I was embarrassed. Unfortunately, the early Jewish believers were, this book was written to, were struggling with being ashamed, not of physical family members, but of their spiritual family and of Jesus. The specific way the author describes their shame in this verse is that they were wavering. Um, the, the word here is taken from two words. It's not inclining, reclining, not leaning. He's not talking here of just completely abandoning the faith as he will in verse number 24. Here he's saying, uh, don't even lean that direction. You know that the, the direction you lean is where you're going to end up? If I, if I lean out over the, over the floor here, over the stairs, I'm not likely to fall backwards. I'm likely to go this way. And so in our spiritual life, which way are we leaning? Are we leaning into God? Are we leaning into his family, into his word? Or are we leaning more into hobbies or recreation or making our occupation or our jobs our identity. The encouragement from this verse is that we, uh, we can live a life that does not lean away from the confession of hope that we have in Jesus. It's possible to live a life that leans into God versus away from him. How is it possible to live a life that does not lean away from the Lord? Because he is faithful. You see that there in the verse? He is faithful that promised. God has promised to give you eternal life. God has promised to give you his Holy Spirit. I think of Philippians 1.6 where it says, I am confident about this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.24 says that God is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To belong to God's family means that he will keep you in the family. You cannot undo God's new birth, and that should bring you unmeasured comfort. But being a part of this new family, you're stuck with us, don't be ashamed of it. Don't stop telling people that you're a Christian. Don't stop following the Lord. Hold fast. Make secure the confession of your hope. Because the one who promised your hope is faithful to you. Let's be faithful to him and not lean away from him. The last responsibility we have in this passage, because we are a part of God's family, is to help your siblings in their mission. Verse number 24 says this, Let us consider one another to provoke, to stir up, unto love and to good works. To consider in this verse is to fully observe, study, understand. Now, why are we supposed to observe, study, understand one another? Is it just so we can all know each other really well? <laughs> no. We are to consider one another in order to learn how to best encourage each other to do God's mission. 
the word here, provoke, can also be translated stir up, stimulate, encourage, or incite. It means to stir someone up in such a way as to spur them to action. Uh, the only other place this word is used in the New Testament is interesting uh, because it actually involves three of the people that could possibly have written the book of Hebrews, Paul, Barnabas, and then the writer of Acts, Luke. In Acts 15, Luke records that Paul and Barnabas were going to begin their second missionary journey. They had started off on the first one and had seen God do a lot of wonderful things. They had started off the journey with uh, Barnabas's uh, friend, John Mark, but about three or four stops into the journey, uh, John Mark got homesick and went back to Jerusalem. So now it comes to the beginning of the second missionary journey, and Barnabas said, hey, let's bring John Mark. And Paul was insistent, no, like he abandoned us before, I'm not bringing him. And the Bible says that the contention between them was so sharp that they ended up completely separating from each other and going on two different missionary journeys. Of course, God would use it for good, uh, that the gospel would go to more places, but the same word here, provoke, is the same underlying one as the contention was so sharp. It is, it is a stirring up to action. Whether the writer of Hebrews was Paul, Barnabas, Luke, or maybe someone else entirely, I wonder if they had this story in mind as they wrote. Barnabas, in the passage, was provoking or inciting Paul to love and to good works, specifically the good work of forgiveness. And yet Paul was indeed incited to action, but he chose unforgiveness. Do you know others at MLBC well enough to meaningfully stir them up to love others and to do good works? It can be tempting to turn church into something we simply watch, like sports, the news, or the demo derby. But belonging to the family of God demands that we actually be present and interacting relationally with others. This is why live stream church will never replace the real church. Church is not a couple of songs and a sermon the church is a family, and the challenge from verse 24 is for you to get to know your siblings and to stir them up to love others and to do good works. Verse 25 gives us further clarification on this thought, that we are to consider one another by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some people is. When this epistle was written, the writer was not encouraging people to assemble in person versus watching on live stream. That wasn't the, the talk they were having. He was saying, meet with the church even though there will be persecution, even though there will be all of these things of your, your possessions being seized and people insulting you, even though that is happening, I'm still encouraging you to meet together. Humanly speaking, I would understand if, uh, you know, maybe Troy, if at your job, uh, people were insulting you and attacking you and taking your stuff, I would understand maybe if, if you would be hesitant uh, to come to church or to name yourself as a Christian, if all of that was happening to you. However, we as an American people often fall so short in this area. We often find any excuse to not assemble with other believers. The weather can be too nice. 
We can have a thousand other opportunities that would be more enjoyable to us. Church is just something we can do or sometimes do, but it's not something we prioritize. However, I feel that the word used in this passage is telling of God's view of his children assembling. The word here, forsake, is the very one used by Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The thought is to abandon, to leave. Some of you with adult children might even be able to relate to this thought. How does it make you feel when your children don't want to be near or around each other or talk to each other at all? Families that are torn apart and irreconcilable are hard. Yet, we don't realize how God feels when we do that to our spiritual siblings. However, the focus of this verse is not mainly the not forsaking that is mentioned first. Instead, it's the thought of considering one another and exhorting one another. The opposite of forsaking the assembly isn't sitting in a chair. The opposite of abandoning the church isn't sitting right there. The opposite of abandoning the church is to meaningfully, spiritually encourage others. Didn't Jesus exemplify this perfectly for us? He didn't leave us or forsake us in our sinful condition, but he also didn't just come to earth, die on the cross, and leave. No, he spent time considering, learning, observing others and encouraging them to follow God. Now, I I think it's important to note that even Jesus didn't spend time with every person on earth. Uh, the, The point of this passage is not... Okay, Samantha, you have to know everyone that calls MLBC their church home, and you've got to know it by, like, next Sunday, otherwise you're disobeying the passage. No, instead, Jesus spent time considering, learning, observing who he could, uh, in his case, uh, 12 main guys that he spent his time with, and then uh, kind of an outer circle of, of men and women as well. And then those men and women that Jesus spent time with would spend the rest of their lives considering others. The words of Philippians 2 also come to mind. Look not every man on his own things or his own interests, but every man pay attention to the interests of others. Let this mind, paying attention to the interests of others, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The ending thought of this passage in verse 25 in particular is the thought I want to close with this morning. The writer tells the believers to consider one another, keep assembling, encourage one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The hope of the church since the first century has been that one day our beloved bridegroom will come to receive us unto himself. We assemble, remembering that we are not alone. We are a part of God's family And one day we will all be assembled together. When we sing, we foreshadow the praise that will take place around his throne. When we hear his word, when we hear his word, we get to hear a glimpse of the voice that will comfort and delight us for all eternity. When we partake of the Lord's table, as we will the week before Easter, we picture when we will eat it with the Lord himself. Everything we do, We ought to do thinking of the fact 
that Jesus will return. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? The truth is you belong to God. You belong to God's family. And that that comes with a few things that we ought to do. We ought to draw near to the Father. We ought to not be ashamed of his family. We ought to help our siblings in their mission. We ought to get to know one another in such a way that we can meaningfully encourage each other in the faith. But maybe you're here today and you do not know Christ as Savior. Uh, Maybe you heard uh, some of the songs talking about Jesus as our Savior. Maybe throughout the message you heard about Jesus' sacrifice for sin on our behalf. And you have never identified yourself with Christ. You have never accepted his gift of free salvation through his sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection for us. And you don't know that you belong to God. Can I tell you, today can be the day. Being saved, belonging to God, as we talked about, does not come because you bring all of your goodness to Jesus and you say, hey, will you accept me? No, no, no. It's us receiving the gift that Jesus took all of his goodness, his righteousness, and brought it to us and said, today is the day of salvation. Will you accept Christ today? If you do belong to God, are you getting close to God? Are you drawing near to him? That happens in in specific ways, but I I think prayer is a great way to draw close to God because it is the least checklisty thing that we can do as a Christian. If we read the word, we might say, okay, I got in four pages today, or I got in four chapters today, uh, I'm doing great. If we're coming to church, we'd say, okay, I, I got dressed, I drove here, I didn't crash, I sat in the seat, I uh, I think I stayed awake during most of the service, and, uh, and then I made it home safely. I can check that off my list. Prayer is something, though, that we're, we're talking to God, and we don't necessarily hear an audible voice back. So it's something in, in real faith that says, God, I'm coming to your presence. I'm coming to the holy of holies, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, and I'm coming trusting that you are my high priest advocating for me, and I'm relying on you. Prayer is a great way to get close to God. Are you leaning into God through the actions, the attitudes, the media, uh, the things you talk about, the friends you have? Are you leaning into God, into his word, into his family, or are you leaning away from him? And then lastly, are you helping your spiritual siblings with their mission? Uh, We don't have a Sunday p.m. service tonight, and so we're encouraging everyone to perhaps grab a meal, go out to eat with someone from church, specifically so you can consider one another. It can be easy to jump in and jump out of church, but the, the encouragement from this passage is get to know one another meaningfully because as you encourage each other and keep on encouraging each other as you see the day approaching, God is glorified. It it helps your brothers and sisters 
in their mission and in their fight that they don't have to feel alone. And maybe if you do feel alone, maybe you would be the person that would reach out to someone else that you would say, hey, let's, let's go out to eat. Next week with our in-home fellowships uh, in place of our Sunday evening service is another great time where you get to be around people maybe in your similar life stage and we'll spend time eating together and talking together and praying together for the future of our church. Are you helping your spiritual siblings with their mission? The truth is that if you belong to Christ, you belong to God. If you belong to God, you belong to his family.